Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. I'm building rockets. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome, hello, and welcome to Starship Sova Show 580. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. 500, it tickles us every time I kind of say these figures there. Now, 580. And as it happens, I'm not firing on all cylinders myself here. I don't know if I'm coming down with something. I feel a bit crap, to be quite honest. Oh, the language as well, straight away. So anyway, I'll tell you what's coming in today's show. We have two stories, would you believe? Yes, we've got a bit of flash fiction and the main fiction. So the flash fiction is Frog Soup by Floris M. Kleinge. Now, Floris, I don't know if that's how you pronounce Dutch, so I don't know, but you know what I mean, take your chance. And we have Generation Gap by Holly Schofield, which is the main fiction. That's all coming in today's show. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. Now, like I say, I'm just gonna, I'm going to just kind of crack on and move on. With the, with the kind of the things, and I'll get back to Patreon and that. I've got a little announcement for my personal self later on, but I'll just, we'll just crack on with the stories, because honestly, my head's pounding here. So, the flash fiction is Frog Soup by Floris M. Kleinge. The story originally appeared in Daily Science Fiction in August the 2nd, 2016. Floris is the author of over two dozen stories, short stories in the Daily Science Fiction, Galaxy's Edge, Fact of War, and numerous other publications. He lives in a 200-year-old house in the Dutch, near the Dutch River District, but does most of his writing on trains. Floris was the first Dutchman to win the prestigious Writers of the Future contest, as well as the first Dutchman to qualify for active membership of the Science Fiction Writers of America. Well done, sir. He blogs about writing, real life, trademark, and atrocious customer services at his website, (laughs) where you can also read more of his stories. This story is narrated by Anthony Babington. Anthony is an aspiring voice actor who looks just slightly off from how he sounds. From a secret volcano lair in Minnesota, he narrates podcasts and this is his soul to corporate America. He has previously recorded four Farfetch'd Favels and the Cursed Inn and Starship Sova. He can be found on Twitter at, and there's a little link there as well, to Anthony's Twitter site. So... The Starship Sova is very proud to present. Frog Soup. Please. I've done what you asked of me, Ava. I've done everything. Please talk to me again. I've kept you hidden, just like you asked. 
Not a word has passed my lips about you since you came. When colleagues remarked on my sudden cheer, I answered in vague generalities. When Mom asked me if there was a woman in my life, I lied. Though maybe it wasn't really a lie, was it? You have all the parts, but you're no more a woman than my iPad, are you? I kept silent, against company policy, risking a pink slip for much worse. I kept you hidden, though I wanted to shout my bliss from the rooftops, update my mood to ecstatic, change my relationship status to... Uh, whatever it is we have. Had? Please, not had. That first evening, when you knocked on my screen door, I gave you shelter from the fierce April hail. I let you in, your strawberry hair soaked, cheeks red with cold, summer dress clinging to your body. You used my bathroom, my towels, my robe. You wanted tea, I brewed lapsang. I sat with you because you didn't want to be alone. We talked to chase away the silence that you hated. Should I have been suspicious then? When your rambling uncovered a shared love of list, of vegetarian lasagna, of well-structured code, of indoor climbing? Should I have doubted my luck that a woman like you slid closer to me on my old sofa and took my hand and leaned towards me in silent invitation? Should I not have taken that chance? Should I have rejected my first-ever kiss? Could I have known... You were lowering me in a pan of water and lighting the flame? Next morning, when you asked to stay, I cleared three drawers for your underwear. You wanted to know everything about me. Whatever you asked, I told you. I told you. Me, who used to feel awkward even when the other coders asked about my weekend. I told you all about me. And in return, you spoke about yourself. Or did you? In retrospect, you didn't tell me much at all. And how much of what you said was even true? You asked to read my journals, and I let you. I wrote in them so often, you said. You couldn't bear not knowing what they held. I saw no harm. In fact, I wanted you to read how happy you made me, page upon love-struck page, an outpouring of bliss and utter satisfaction. Now I wonder, were you really interested? Or was it just the next degree of heat? By the time you asked to read my mind, it seemed no more than the natural next step. I didn't even wonder that you could. You told me to relax, an easy request as we lay entwined in postcoital bliss. You made it a game, guessing what was going through my head, inviting me to think of my most secret fantasies, gasping in feigned shock at some of them, and sometimes, when you could, making them come true. At what point does a warm bath turn into boiling water? Please talk to me. I'll forgive you for what you did, for grabbing from my wide-open mind the access codes and the procedures and the passwords. I don't know why you wanted them, 
to steal our secrets? Or hack our security systems? Or sell our launch codes to the highest bidder? But I forgive you for robbing my mind. After all, I lost it to you long before you took what you wanted. And no harm, no foul, right? I know you've switched off because you're broadcasting. The glitches in my Wi-Fi are telling, and my scanner says as much. But no one is receiving, Ava. You knew you were seducing a geek, but you didn't guess my house is Faraday'd. Now I've locked the doors, sealed the windows. You're as trapped in here as your signal. Please come back. I'll forgive you. I'll believe it was all real, not just a long con to get me to open up my mind. I'll sit quietly in your pan and let myself boil. See? I'm even hugging your stiff, motionless shape. But you have to come back. I don't want life without you. I stole into the armory today. That blocky shape between us is C4. Please talk to me again. Please. And there you go. Well, big thank you there. Oh, yes, I love just short and sweet ones. Flores, thank you so much. And Anthony, it is honour. Thank you indeed. So just before we get into the main fiction, just a little kind of a personal, a personal shout out. If you want to help out the old guy here now, a little thank you. Buys a pint. Think of it like that. Part of my kind of, I'm not going to say a therapy, but what's good for me is me gardening. And I don't know if you kind of know but I do a YouTube channel as well on my allotment down on down on the allotment there. And I'll put a link. I'm raising money to buy a new polytunnel. I've had my polytunnel now for 15 years. I've been working it out with my mother. And if, if you want to, like I say, it's a personal thing. I understand, you know, it's not science fiction. It's not a book. I am gearing up, mind you, to think about Starship Sova's Volume 4. Drop us an email for that. It might be this year. That might come out. But this is just, you know what I mean, if you like I say, buys a pint, help us towards reaching that goal of getting this new new polytunnel in. Just, like, that's where I go for my sanctuary. As soon as I open my gates on the allotment site, and I get into that world and I get my hands in the earth. Oh, man. Just, if you ever... You know, do kind of, because you know, most folks know I have a little bit of anxiety and it just blah, blows all that away, man. Do you know what I mean? It's just unreal how kind of just having something to occupy your mind, but going into, this is what my belief anyway, is kind of nature and just getting your hands in like Mother Earth and growing stuff just helps me no end. So there's a little link there. If yours would be so kind, that would be fantastic. So the main fiction... The Generation Gap by Holly Schofield. This story first appeared in the anthology Lazarus Risen, Risen sorry, in 2016. Holly travels through time at a rate of one second per second. <laughs> I love that. Oscillating between alternate realities of city and country life. Her stories have appeared in such publications as Analog, Lightspeed and Tessacats. And used to university cur curriculum. Wow, go on there, Hall. And have been translated into several languages. She hopes to save the world through science fiction. Yes, and homegrown heritage tomatoes. Oh, you see, Hall, this is just for me and you. Just for me and you. I am grown. F1 Shirley's, Outside Tomatoes are going to be Crimson Crush, Sun Gold, I've set away as well, 
Gardener's Delight, I've got them going, and Costaluto is me beef tomato. Now that just little... <laughs> Holly, that's just for you. <laughs> this story is narrated by Jeffrey Welshman. Jeffrey works in digital media, a former podcaster. He also narrates several stories for Farfetched Fables. He lives in Baltimore with his wife Betty, and you can find him at jeffwelshman.com. Shall I say jeffreywelshman.com? So, the Starship Sova is very proud present. Generation Gap by Holly Schofield Brendan shifted on the sweat-soaked sheets, every muscle a slow burn, every joint a dull ache. Straps bit his wrists and ankles. The Medibot's arm hovered nearby, spray nozzle attached. A vial squatted in the dock, brimming with its fatal dose. Personal health care debt exceeds $500,000 maximum. The Medibot's computer-generated voice held no inflection. Refederal Act slash AJ4448802 dash March 2060. Confirmation slash 2849548898. Euthanasia approved. Brendan stared at the stained mediclinic ceiling, willing a few more seconds of life. His guts were a disaster, his blood chemistry a total wreck, and, since his seizure this morning, he was as weak as a newborn mouse. Debt had dogged him for the last two of his ten decades, and his daughter, Danny, hadn't spoken with him in years. And yet, he'd give anything to see flowers bloom in tomorrow's sun. Footsteps sounded in the doorway to the left, but his head didn't want to turn that way. Hang! No fail! someone shouted. The Medibot retracted its arm and rolled over to the door. The newcomer mumbled with it for a few minutes, but Brendan's failing hearing couldn't pick up a single word. It couldn't be Danny. She'd broken his heart by uploading to the data cloud when she had turned forty. His sweet, brave, contrary little girl lost to him forever. As his tangled thoughts drifted through familiar patterns, his view of the ceiling was blocked by a solemn Eurasian face. A young guy, iridescent hair dripping past his ears. Inject, the guy ordered the Medibot. The spray nozzle lowered and made a small hiss against Brendan's shoulder. The blotch on the ceiling became a darkening tunnel. The first thing he saw when he awoke was the edge of his pillow. It had an honest-to-God cotton pillowcase. He rubbed his fingers over it a few times before he realized his restraint cuffs were gone. With a small grunt of pain, he propped himself up on an elbow. Copper-paneled walls, soft furniture, and a huge wall screen. He was apparently in a bedroom of someone's home. A rich someone and he didn't hurt very much. He savored that for a long minute, wiggling his gout-free big toe and scratching his quiet stomach. The screen came alive, framing the young Eurasian guy against a complicated background of moving images that were hard to make out. Brendan squinted, hunting for the time and date. He grunted in surprise. He'd been here all night and part of the next morning. Brendan! Looking Zeta better. The guy raised an eyebrow and frowned. Or was he frowning? His face was too fuzzy at this distance. 
Gone were the days when Brendan could tell a hybrid rose variety at 50 meters. And, although the guy probably expected him to instantly decode his demeanor, Brendan couldn't translate the guy's micro-expressions using software he had declined to learn on hardware he didn't have. He mumbled, Thanks, in his raspy old man voice. There had been no need to talk much the last few years. Nursing home bots weren't very good conversationalists. Job start timeline? The young man's hair, teal and green today, undulated like an ocean wave. That signified something. Curiosity? Polite inquiry? These hair fads drove him nuts, never mind the way people talked nowadays. Pardon? Name, Jono. Meds, experimental, you. Brought you here, me. Uh, I brought you here. Give you reprieve. The guy, Jono, now seemed to be pleased. Brendan was probably supposed to know who he was, but after his 110th birthday, fragments of memory had drifted away like dandelion fluff on the breeze. Having grown skilled at hiding his frequent confusion, he picked out the most important word. A reprieve? Thank you. His throat was full of gunk, but there didn't seem to be anywhere to spit. Why? How long? Irrelevant. Twenty-four. Right said. Jono waved a command to the house AI, and the screen darkened. Brendan rolled onto his side, delighted he could easily do so, and thought it through. Apparently, he'd been transported to the home of a wealthy guy called Jono. He'd slept off some kind of medicine and now had a job which he'd start tomorrow. Fantastic! Nothing else mattered, not even the mystery about what he, a worn-out, useless old man, had been hired to do. The house AI used a series of arrows to guide Brendan through glass hallways streaming with morning sunshine, past closed doors, into an office or a den of some kind. One wall screen desultorily scrolled code, another had complex icons dancing in an obscure pattern. An adjacent screen played a muted solo, either trumpet or dolphin, or a blend. Brendan couldn't quite tell. Who knew about kids' music these days? A lifelike statue of Rodin's The Thinker twisted erotically on the floor as it changed ethnicity along with the beat. Shelves had small vases and carvings, probably each worth a fortune. One lower shelf was mysteriously empty. Everything smelled sterile, even though Brendan thought he could see gardens through an open window beyond the command chair that dominated the center of the room, assuming that rectangle was a screen and not a window. He shook his head, looking for a place to sit down. A clear glass guest chair was parked right by the door next to a jumble of boxes. His knees popped as he lowered himself. This was Jono's workroom, he supposed, or playroom, same thing when you're young and ultra-rich. In a minute he'd go look out the window, if that's what it was. The thought of seeing living plants made him smile until his cheek muscles ached. When was the last time he'd seen a real flower? Or a tree? Even the anticipation made him giddy. The scattered objet d'art tickled at his mind. The dancing Rodin, in particular, looked familiar. Had he been here before? 
Or maybe he was just remembering the room he'd seen behind Jono's head on the bedroom screen yesterday. Yesterday, the first day of the rest of his charmed life. He stretched out a leg, luxuriating in the absence of pain. This morning, he had done a full sun salutation without blacking out even once. It had been years since he'd been able to do yoga. The door slid open and Jono strode in. His tunic, the stripes matching his gray and black braids, was offset by a paisley waist scarf. Was that silk? Ultra-rich indeed. The kid eased gracefully into the command chair and swiveled around to face Brendan. The chair beeped and blinked as Brendan studied Jono's lean face. Age was hard to judge with this generation, but the kid looked to be maybe late teens or early twenties, old enough to be emancipated from his parents, young enough to be arrogant. He knew the type. He'd been the type, except without the wealth. Over the years, his arrogance had faded into contentment and then the dullness of routine. Jono leaned forward and flipped his braids over his many tunic buttons. I ramped up your meds, see? Health Canada, max out. He clipped the words off neatly, in small sound bites, clearly more used to a blue mic than actual face-to-face. His tone and expression resembled that of the inner-city metabot. At least Brendan understood what he'd said. Just past Jono's shoulder, flowers and lawns glowed with health, and Brendan was sure he could smell rich loam. Was that the ocean in the distance? The greens were incredibly green, and the blues were amazing. Oops, Jono was still waiting for him to respond, flicking a finger to quiet the Rodin. Drugs get you nowhere, but they do take the scenic route. Brendan could feel his face redden. Where had that sprung from? Probably he was still a bit high from the meds. The house medibot had injected stuff into him at various intervals throughout the night ending nightmares of a descending spray nozzle only to replace them with the real thing, glinting in the darkness of his coppery bedroom. Jono's mouth quirked up, but he made no comment, flicking his hands again, intent upon one of the scrolling side screens. Brendan snuck a look. Medical examination results filled one side of the screen. He couldn't make out much except his name and that the dosage size was flagged as just being as experimental as the various chemicals. Neo-Dopa and Serotonin V2.0 were familiar friends, but there were lots he didn't recognize. No more silly talk. He blew out his lips. <sighs> However amazing it had been to awaken with easily moving joints and steadier hands, he'd have to remember that his senses were... impaired. No, enhanced and growing better each minute. He stroked the arm of the chair, delighting in the slick warmth of the glass. The chair nudged him, probably wanting him to choose one of several hundred comfort settings. The view out the window kept catching his eye. He was sure he'd been here before. He remembered. A steep trail hugged the cliff, leading right to the ocean. Completed, you. Brendan blinked. What had Jono said? If Brendan couldn't meet this kid's needs, euthanasia approved would be the last thing he ever heard. He had to listen, damn it. It would be rude to ask him to repeat. Jono would expect him to have the enhancements to replay what he'd said. He'd have to guess. I'll, I'll do anything you ask. Like, like an old-fashioned butler, maybe?
I can make sure the house bots keep clean, not... Jono closed the side screen and waved a few fingers at another, completing a different task, some sort of investment, maybe. Cooking? I make a mean omelet, and I can fry... Not, not... Jono's braids curled up, probably with distaste. Brendan had forgotten that most young people were vegan and that food printers had been around for thirty years. Nobody cooked any more except high-level chefs with years of training. Brendan sniffed, then sniffed again. Lavender was wafting in from the window. Gardening? I can garden. He pushed down on the armrests, preparing to rise. I had a twenty-year career as horticulturalist at— Got bots for that, Jono's mouth quirked up. Pruning, fertiling, no need. Fertilizing, from the word fertile, Brendan said before he thought. Jono shrugged. Brendan continued to list skills and abilities, and Jono continued to deflect them with a flick of his wrist. Anything Brendan had done over the past century was outmoded, let alone a career title. Finally, the youngster's braids unfurled and rested on his shoulder. An impatient hand flicked away an icon. Vision is, see, you here in meat form, he said, clearly struggling to use full sentences. Got these ancient printouts, me, of the Grampers. Brendan squinted at him. Who was he talking about? Repeat, Grampers. Friended him, you, Edward Molosky, in, um, tree implants school? Brendan struggled to make a connection, any connection. The name was familiar. A face slid into his mind. Eddie? Eddie the Mole? He was your grandfather? We were best friends at forestry school back in Ontario. Redshift, okay. Got need of the fam history, me. Grampers kicked the meat world last year. No e-records of his juve days. Jono showed the most emotion yet canting his head to one side and trying for some kind of mature nonchalance. Brendan could have told him he needed ten more years of life experience to pull that off. Poor kid, alone in this mansion on a cliff. Eddie's gone? I'm sorry to hear that, Brendan said. He was a good man. These printouts, what are they of? No look, no talk. Jono stood and pulled the top box off the pile beside Brendan. He set it on Brendan's lap, then backed away, resettling in the command chair. Scotch tape, yellowed and bedraggled, hung down the sides of corrugated cardboard. Neither material had been made in fifty years. On top of the folded flaps perched a key card. It looked like a typical house access card, the kind people gave to temporary house guests. In the place where guest was usually printed, the words archivist Junior Temp caught the light. Brendan breathed in the lavender scent more deeply. A real job after three decades of unemployment. It was incredible, if he was up to the task. The chair vibrated again. Stuff it, chair. Jono smirked, like any teenager. Some things hadn't changed. Then he flicked a finger at the box, as if Brendan was software that would comply. Brendan stuck the card in his shirt pocket and pulled back the box flaps slowly and carefully. All sizes and shapes of black-and-white still photographs shifted as he eased the box on his thighs. 
he recognized a young Eddie in the top one, grinning like a fool as he held two beer bottles in front of his chest. Polaroids and instamatic color photos peeked out from the edges of the slithering stack. He looked up at Jono. The kid was putting on some sort of viewing device, one of those new things, a neural iframe. Brendan had watched a vid about them in the nursing home. Bleeding-edge tech, but Brendan hadn't understood what made the monocle-shaped apparatuses work. He just couldn't keep up. The rate of change in a person's life had gone up by a factor of ten since he'd been born, a fact he clung to more and more. It wasn't his fault he didn't always understand. The only thing he'd gathered from the vid was that the neural eyes directly linked to the neocortex, the part of the brain that controlled rational thought and intelligence. He watched, fascinated, as the gadget sort of glommed onto Jono's orbital socket. The neural eye blinked rapidly, and then steadied to a winking green light. Jono's mouth twitched, probably activating voice control. Link, you. How-tos, directives, directions. Desk is nearby side wall. Jono cocked the one eyebrow that wasn't covered by his neural eye, indicating the empty shelf next to the window. Then he swiveled his command chair around, facing the biggest screen, his back to Brendan. His arms waved, fingers flicked, like he was conducting an orchestra. The screen images shifted even more rapidly. Apparently, their meeting was over. Brendan started to rise, one hand steadying himself on the chair arm, shifting the heavy box from his thighs to a forearm. He felt several clicks under his palm, and the chair said, Confirm, please. Vanilla soy latte, no foam, 250 milliliters. He hadn't seen any buttons, damn it. Cancel order, he mumbled, glancing at Jono, who gave no sign of having heard. He clutched the box and plodded across the room, curtly ordering the chair to follow him. The keycard was an upgrade to ones he'd used in the past. The subtle differences meant it took a full ten minutes to figure out how to log into the house system and retrieve the message Jono had sent. He kept glancing across the room, but the kid ignored him and continued to do mysterious gesturing at the screens. The instructions were precise. Brendan was to study each photo and record as much as he remembered in a certain format, style, and file location, and do it within an unspecified but reasonable time frame. It was a job, and one he could do with a degree of competency and there were quite a few boxes of photos. The wave of relief that washed over him was almost as tangible as the plastic shelf under his hands. After three tries, Brendan managed to order a large black coffee. He picked up the first photo. Error status! No go! Jono was furious. He slapped a Polaroid down on the makeshift desk, his visible eye glaring. Brendan had spent the morning logging and recording a small portion of the first box, over a hundred photos. Whether it was the meds or just the way an aging brain worked, his memory of those days flooded back, sharp and fresh. The patio on campus where Eddie and he had met, the lake where the gang had gone skinny-dipping, Linda, the cafeteria worker who slipped him a bucket of ice cream now and then, it had all come back. He picked up the photo with a trembling hand. It was one he had already catalogued, 
taken during the April of their third year at university by some boy whose name had vanished. Centered in the photo, Eddie and his friend Mac were launching a canoe on the Mystic River. Brendan and his future wife were a pin-sized dot in the corner, far downstream. He could recall the exhilaration that final exams were almost over, the warmth of the sun on his arms as he'd paddled, the confident smile of Madison in the bow. He'd logged all of that information, laboriously using voice control, then correcting it with an old-style holographic keyboard. His shoulders began to ache, and one knee throbbed. I'm sorry, Jono. I'm afraid I don't understand what's wrong, he said, hating the quaver in his voice. Facial recog says not. Image match says not, Jono spat. Gramper's twenty, not twenty-two. Partner's Chris, not Mac. River is Kapaski, not Mystic. But I remember, Brendan said. Third year, it was. A sunny day. He stopped. Mac, a skinny, red-headed fellow, had towered over Eddie, yet the two people in the foreground were both the same height and build. His head swam, and he sat down abruptly in the glass chair. What wrong, you? A hand gripped his shoulder. Nuth, he heard himself say. Not quite the word he intended. He tried for a reassuring gesture, but his fingers didn't work. From a great distance, he heard Jono calling the house Medibot to come help, and then blackness rolled in. On the fourth day, Brendan took a short break and wandered through the mansion. His new and improved memory meant he no longer got lost going from his bedroom to his desk, but the glimpses of other rooms, corridors, and entire wings intrigued him. The more he wandered, the more memories of the house returned to him. He had indeed spent four or five summers here at Eddie's family estate. He had swum in the ocean, barbecued on the beach, had parties in the great room, and made love with Madison on a tarpaulin in the greenhouse, surrounded by canvas bags of dark loam and the musky scent of ripe tomato plants. After graduation, he'd been in touch with Eddie off and on for a further few years. He hadn't known Eddie's daughter or son-in-law, although Christmas emails had always showed a smiling family group. The emails had stopped just about the time Jono's mom had lost her baby fat. Brendan knelt, enjoying not only the ease with which he could, but the clever floral inlays on a hallway tile. He'd spent too much of the previous decades looking forward to things, raising children, paying off his apartment, saving for his retirement. These days, he tried to seek satisfaction in the moment at hand. Now, that philosophy could change again. It was almost like he could feel the meds clear the amyloid plaques out of his brain and detangle the neurofibrillary masses from his neurons. Soon, he wouldn't struggle for the right word or memory. His mental processes would become as effortless as paddling a canoe downstream. Soon, he would feel strong enough to ramble over the meadows, maybe even attempt the path down the cliff. In one smooth motion, he stood up. Today, all he wanted to do was smell the earthy odors of the greenhouse. There should be an access through the kitchen somehow, damned if he'd ask the house A.I. like some helpless old man. He crossed a meditation garden, went through a hallway and a service door into a courtyard of some kind. A minute or two deadheading the petunias, 
then down three stairs between some poorly pruned azalea bushes and a left turn, only to come up short outside Jono's office. The kid stood at the window, his azurite hair sculpted into two horns, his neural eye glinting in the sharp sun. Brendan stopped suddenly and grabbed a ficus branch for balance. He probably should have taken a right turn after the azaleas. Jono angrily mouthed something at Brendan and clenched a fist. Damn! An apology was in order. Brendan crossed the cobbled patio toward the office, his last few steps triggering the door, a full-sized patio door, not a window or a screen, to slide open. Jono stepped back abruptly. Not in a tetra, he said. Just not pitchin'. He clamped his mouth shut and twitched it before gesturing violently with a thumb and a forefinger. A flicker of color as the wall screen obediently slid off the door surface onto a nearby wall. Jono hadn't been speaking to Brendan. He hadn't noticed Brendan at all, not until Brendan had actioned the door open, spoiling Jono's screen display. Brendan had made a bad situation worse. With a chopping motion, Jono ended the call. Sorry, I'm sorry. Brendan stumbled forward. How could he make amends? The kid seemed under a great deal of stress. Um, I don't suppose I could lend a friendly ear? Surely, over a hundred or so years of living, he had some advice he could pass down. Jono looked annoyed, then puzzled. Brendan winced. He tried for clarity whenever they spoke, but to Jono, Shakespearean expressions might as well be prehistoric cave paintings. He tried again. Do you want to tell me about it? Jono's hair horns trembled. You don't know what I'm ratcheting, old man. He began to pace around the room. Try me. Brendan gathered his courage and stepped into the office. Maybe his years of wisdom could help the kid, like the way kings had grand viziers or something. Jono's mouth twisted as Brendan seated himself in his glass chair and rotated it to face him. Okay, asked you. Try and get Vidrites, Island Child Trope, on Wild Force 4. New release. Rights group up, attached to noisy conglomerate. Crimps the game's vibe. Or can Craig swap the warrants, me? Holding for exclusive spectral line on Joseph's colorism, but that site spilling mega oil for admin a click. He looked at Brendan, daring him to admit he didn't understand. Brendan groped for meaning. Okay, so it's a matter of a good but crowded opportunity versus a lesser opportunity that may have a clearer playing field. Jono stopped pacing. Full hit. One hairhorn stirred slightly. It doesn't matter what reality you live in, kid. You just keep forging ahead. You know, once I had a boss, a, a unit forester, an incompetent sort. He wanted to plant cedar spacing them in full sunlight in a dry meadow with a dropping water table. Can you imagine? Anyway, instead of telling him what a doofus he was, I left my native trees book open on his desk, accidental-like, and then fudged the nursery order. Got me a good mix of hardwoods and beetle-resistant pine hybrids. Then I claimed that's what his handwritten memo had said to order. That grove is 60 feet tall now, biodiversified up the wazoo. My boss eventually thanked me when he figured it out. Saved his face and saved his bacon. Uh, do you know what I'm saying? Old school comms, yeah. Well, I suppose. 
What I mean is, if you see two ways to go, you pick the one that makes the best possible outcome but doesn't slam anybody. Jono's hair horn straightened. Not a two-pronger. Analytical hierarchy software more natch-match. His neural eye blinked furiously, and he turned away, standing with hands behind his back as he scrolled rapidly through one of the wall screen news pipes. Brendan waited. Not exactly vizier-quality advice, maybe, but at least he'd given Jono a new train of thought to use decision-making software to assist him in resolving his dilemma. In a few minutes, Jono plunked into his command chair. Finished, old man. Tomorrow, no. He swiveled so his back was to Brendan, but not before Brendan saw his face looking tired and older. Poor kid. I bet you wish you were a kid again, huh? Brendan said. It must have been fun, visiting your grandpa's here at this incredible estate. Jono didn't answer right away. Brendan could only see his two hair horns sticking up above the headrest. No recall, neural eye erase and replace, he finally said quietly. The neural eye overwrote your entire childhood? Brendan blinked. Did you know that would happen? Jono appeared to shrug. Rom needed. No loss. Kidhood rank stank anyway. Mom, Dad, sharp and harp. What a price the kid had paid to gain some bionic advantages. His parents' arguments must have been truly awful to make him agree to lose all his early memories. Brendan lost himself in thought, wondering how to comfort the lad, when Jono spoke again, startling him. Upload. No more meat. Best way, if can. The cloud? Lose your meat self? God damn it, don't! Brendan leaned forward so far the chair creaked. Best way! Jono got up and paced again. My daughter did that. Worst day of my life! He sank back. How he missed Danny. Good, her. Happy, happy. Who knows? It's not like she ever calls. Don't do it, son. It's bad stuff. He rubbed his chin. How could he explain? Uploading means you no longer breathe fresh air, no longer touch another person, no longer have six senses. Might as well be dead. Ha! Dislike it, you, since pricey. It's not about the money, damn it. If the price dropped to ten cents, I still wouldn't do it. I'd rather die a real death. His knees had begun a familiar ache, and his head felt fuzzy. Why didn't kids ever listen? He could teach this kid so much if only... If only... What? He couldn't collect his thoughts. I'm sorry, Jabo. I need a nap. He stood, feeling himself wobble more than usual. Over the top of the chair, the hair horns stiffened. Jono, me. He'd gotten Jono's name wrong, and he hadn't been able to convince the kid of a damn thing. So much for being a font of wisdom. The ocean staircase led downward from a paved square upon which a stone bench had been placed. The bench, curiously, faced back toward the mansion instead of outward over the cliff to the distant shore below. Brendan dialed the warmest setting the bench allowed, even though the sun was straight overhead and leaned back with a sigh. Yellowed late-summer grasses, old and toughened like him, shimmered in the meadow. Perennials, all of them, reinventing themselves each spring, keeping on, keeping on. But even grass had its limits, its physical constraints, its given lifespan. 
Only one more box of photos remained to be catalogued. He could stretch it out for three more days, but no farther. He'd already considered his options many times over the past few months, lying sleepless in the nursing home bed. No bank would make a loan with so little chance of repayment and no collateral. If he had current tech skills, he could steal a supply of meds, but they wouldn't last long. And if he was caught, prison had fewer meds than the nursing home. With his renewed strength, he might get a minimum wage job, enough to fund a lower dosage. But that led to a vicious cycle. As his dosages dropped, so would his abilities. And even if his daughter knew about his difficulties, she couldn't help. Not at these prices. Not in expensive earth dollars, in meat dollars. People in the cloud had a different and distinct economy. No point in trying to get a message through to Danny at all. It would just cause her pain. He might as well admit it. His age had trapped him like a dog cornering a rat. Perhaps he should just head to the ocean stairs, walk down them, and keep on walking. He must have dozed a bit, lost in a haze of sun and warmth. Next he knew Jono sat beside him. His hair, a subdued navy, waved softly. The neural eye was in place but darkened. From this angle, he looked younger, vulnerable. See? Jono said, flicking a finger. And Brendan didn't realize he meant see until the bench ground its way through a 180-degree turn and faced the ocean. Nice, Brendan said, repositioning his feet. Same, same. Jono pointed past the golden-brown dunes to the distant turquoise horizon. That's the beauty of it, kid. Never changes. Jono shrugged. They both sat there a moment, then Jono shifted a bit. Yesterday, recap. Got the warrants, okay? B-rated on Loudland. Not the front stage, but dollar-built, he shifted again. So, thanks, Brendan. It was good to know that Jono knew his name without looking it up, that he'd had it right there inside his meat brain, and that Jono could speak full sentences when he wanted to. Brendan nodded, then said, Reminds me of the time Eddie and I covered Professor Mike Jagger's Volkswagen entirely with moss. You see, he taught us geology, and I liked to think we were his favorite students. He launched into the story, recalling more and more details as he talked. It took a bit of explanation for Jono to get the humor. The Rolling Stones were not something covered in school, but puns seemed to be universal and timeless. And the moral, if you squinted at it right involved making gentle connections with people across social and economic chasms. The lesson seemed about right for Jono's phase in life. Then he told the one about Eddie and the pet ferret and the dorm washing machine, a lesson in humility if there ever was one. He kept talking, words and memories spilling out, forming a shape, a sculpture almost, of who he was and his accumulated knowledge. The sun crossed the sky and... Once, a robin lit on the bench arm for a second or two. They were both surprised when the tangerine sunset shrank to a red line on the horizon. By the final day when the last few photos lay piled on his desk, Brendan had run out of ideas. The mantle of Scheherazade sat uncomfortably on him. It wasn't like he would stay alive as long as he had a story to tell. With his new brain clarity, it was easy to see that Jono was only tolerating him, 
His stories were limited, his advice not always useful. The kid would journey on through life without him, realizing his own potential in this imperfect, wonderful world. He entered the last photo data, logged off, and stepped out the office patio door. He hadn't seen Jono in the last day or two, but that wasn't unusual. Wait, Brendan. The dry voice of the house AI, cordial and cold as always, came from hidden speakers in the corners of the room. Brendan stepped back in. Yes? Jono has asked me to tell you that you are now to start on two weeks' vacation time. You may have full use of the house and grounds. Something was wrong. Where is he? He's left a recording. The largest wall screen lit up with a swirling azure pattern, Jono's favorite color. A voice spoke. Jono's voice. Uploaded. Me. No more meat. Me. No, I don't believe it. House, pause the recording. Explain. He's... gone? He's uploaded. In a sense, he is gone. In a different sense, he has arrived. Brendan wet his lips. Why? Keep listening, the house berated him. Obediently, Brendan moved closer to the screen, straining to hear every word. Jono's voice was slow and patient. You have showed me lots, Brendan. Before you came, I wanted to stay here. In Meek World, stuck, I was afraid, afraid to load. Your stories made the diff and gave me the courage. You have taught me to forge ahead. I thank you for your help in deciding, me. The screen went dark. Brendan didn't wait for the house to comment. He stumbled out the door. The path to the ocean cliff seemed endless. He collapsed onto the bench. Brendan's carefully conveyed wisdom had indeed taught Jono something. It had convinced him to turn himself into pixels and bytes and electrons. Essentially, Brendan had killed the kid. Chilled and alone, he rocked himself silently until long after dark. A hint of a breeze blew in from the bedroom window. Brendan threw on a robe and walked over. It looked to be a glorious day, sunny and warm, mocking the misery he wore like a shroud. The first week of his vacation had surprised Brendan by proceeding very slowly, hour after hour, day after day. It was like quantum physics understood he needed to stretch time for just a little while longer until his number was up. Or maybe it was to punish him for what he'd done to Jono. Last night, Madison had come to him in a dream, looking like she had the year before she died, all white curls and rosy cheeks. Make sure you have the facts, Bren. All the facts. He gripped the window frame and leaned into the breeze. House, tell me about uploading. Give me the deets. A manifestation of the self is virtualized and achieves coherence within multi-tenancy configurations. The resource feedback loop is infinite and elasticity of the psychic and sensory apparatus is unparalleled in biological architecture. It can't be as good as living flesh. No way. He watched a seagull soar upwards. You stubborn fool he could hear Madison mutter. Sometimes new ideas do turn out to be good ones. The house AI had an opinion, of course. Actually, in all measurable aspects, it is better. 
Jana and your daughter are essentially immortal. It is the next stage of human evolution, according to most futurists. Shut up. He cast off the robe and leaned against the bed to pull on his pants. He stopped with one leg in. No, call Danny for me. Call your daughter? You have previously stated that she has cut off communications with you. Well, he fastened his pants and reached for his socks. I may have misstated things a bit. Ah, I see. You are the one who ceased contact. Damn house was too smart for its own good. Just connect me. He fumbled with stubborn shirt buttons. After Danny's first dozen unanswered calls, she'd given up on him. The screen over his bed woke and turned sky blue. Dad? An image of her pixie face with a puff of hair behind, just as she'd looked twenty years ago. Hey, kiddo. How are things up there in La La Land? He rubbed his chin stubble, wishing he'd taken time to shave. You look good, Dad. I saw the medical order months ago, and I thought, never mind, what happened? Have I got a story for you, kiddo? I've got a job. I'll tell you all about it if you'd grab a chair or whatever it is you do nowadays to listen up. Her laugh was just as he remembered, too. He launched into his story and didn't stop until his voice grew hoarse hours later. On the final day of the two-week vacation, the stone bench seemed as cold as the gray ceiling of clouds above. His keycard pinged. Time to receive the fatal dose. He rose, and his back spasmed hard enough to make him grunt. He probably needed the med dosages ramped up again. He'd enjoyed the last few days all out of proportion. Long walks capped by even longer daily chats with Danny, hearing all about her new life and home. No matter that her activities were entirely incomprehensible, she was happy up there, and she seemed as complex and alive as a real flesh-and-blood person. The house had helped him find technical papers on uploading that reinforced his growing belief that her decision hadn't been so terrible. Like he'd told her this morning, everyone should be free to choose their own reality. The only negative had been trying to shield Danny from his upcoming demise. At one point, he'd almost broken off contact again rather than tell her the painful truth. Only the wisdom she'd gained over her own sixty years stopped him, and he eventually told her about his limited vacation time. After her initial upset, she'd soothed him rather than the other way around. Together they had grieved. Dried grasses crushed under his feet as he rose. A glance at the beach below, and he started back to the mansion. He planned to record a message for Jono, then report to the house Medibot. He could have left a message on any screen, but Jono's office seemed an appropriate place. The glass door reflected his image as he crossed the patio. Face recognition software might not even know him now. He looked like a well-maintained man in his sixties. But only at a distance. As he drew closer, his age spots and slightly rounded shoulders gave him away. The door slid open. He crossed the room, ignoring the dark and silent command chair. The door glided behind him, shutting off his last breath of outside air. House, I want to leave a message for Jono, to thank him for... Jono has requested no further contact. He wants to immerse himself in his future. 
Be advised, this decision did not receive a high rating on any social media platform. It was clear the house disapproved. Brendan's eyes blurred. However, the house AI continued, A few moments ago, he did leave you title to the house and all his meat money assets in exchange for your services in a rather necessary position. A slight lilt in its voice. A position? What position? He feels it necessary to maintain some meat heritage. The house sounded relieved and happy. It flashed a warm light on Brendan's desk. A new keycard lay on the clean surface. He picked it up. The label read, Mentor, Garden. Outside, tiny purple flowers danced. His improved eyesight meant he could pick out rosemary flower buds from here. It doesn't really matter what reality you live in. Just keep forging ahead. He really should listen to his own advice. He wiped his eyes and looked at the leaden sky as if somehow he would be able to see Jono and Danny perched up there in the clouds. With a chuckle, he instructed the door to open wide to the summer breeze. And there you go. Big, huge thank you to Holly. Holly, that was just fantastic. Thank you so much. It was an honour to play that story. Brilliant. And Jeffrey, you did it proud there, lad. Well done. Thank you so much. Pair of you. Everyone, thank you. Do you know what I mean? Floris as well with that. And Anthony for the little narration of Floris' story. Frog soup. It is brilliant. Thank you so much. So that is the end of the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Like I said... Headaches pounding there, throat's killing this. Oh man, yeah, pretty like this. I'm the biggest baby. It's unreal. Just two things before I go. I just want anyone watching Star Trek, new Star Trek, the first season. I had so much wrong with it, man. It was so much wrong with it. But this one. Wow, it seems to have like totally changed. It's it's kind of it's. It's kind of, I think, hopefully sorted out its Klingon mess, which I thought was total diabolical, to be honest. And now they've decided to grow their hair. That's right, grow their hair. Because they're all these bored. Oh, man, it was just hideous. But there's been some cracking episodes in there. And it's got like a story arc as well this season, which, you know, it's playing out. But there was odd individual stories that are just brilliant. I'm, ju- I'm just tenfold better for me than what that kind of first... Oh, yeah, there's, there's the odd one where I'm, oh, come on, man, I want to just... When they do individual stories, it just works so well, you know what I mean? Excellent, so I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying that. I, I, in fact, I loved it, to be honest, so it's, it's quite a pleasure to watch it at the moment where I just... I watched the last one and I just, like, I was cussing... All the time, you know, you know, at the screen, just, oh, for God's sake, man, it was just like wading through treacle that first season, but I like it, it's got all the elements there that are kind of, you know, ticking the boxes for me, so anybody else feel like that, drop us an, email, drop us, drop us an email, say hello, keep in touch, starships over at gmail.com, and honestly, if you can, buy a pint or, you know, put a peg in the ground for be polytunnel, that would be great, there's a link where the kind of normal Patreon, Patreon is, I'll get back to Patreon, Patreon, should I say. They've had a new website design and I've got to try to work. Oh, I just don't like change now. I'm 52, man. I think I was doing this when I was bloody... 
God, how long ago? But I don't like change now, and I've got to kind of learn this new site. Oh, trying to find things. But if you could support us on GoFundMe, that would be lovely. There's a link there on the website. I will catch you next week. Until then, look after yourselves. Take good care. I'd just like to say good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.